and welcome to the Homegrown Sunshine Podcast, the place where we gather to discuss the arts, the practice, the highs and the lows of cultivating a wholesome and culturally diverse home education culture for you and your entire family. My name is Kainanella Winarena and I am a proud homeschooler. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome and introduce you to our host, my amazing mum, Alberta Stevens. Hello, lovely ones. Welcome to episode six of the Homegrown Sunshine podcast. This is your host, yours truly, Alberta Stevens. Today, I'm so delighted and honoured to sit with a remarkable woman, an exceptional mum and great encourager and friend whose work and contribution to the home ed sphere, again, I greatly admire. In continuation of our Home Ed Rituals and Practices series, I will be chatting to the phenomenal and queen, I would say, Home Ed Mama 4, Veronica Ospalat, popularly known as Ronnie from Multicultural Motherhood. We will be discussing rituals and practices within one of her favourite homeschooling topics, nature study, or if you like, outdoor schooling. So get your favourite drink, sit comfortably, because Homegrown Sunshine podcast is serving a delicious feast of nature study gems today. Before I bring Ronnie in, let's check in. How are you doing, my friend? Have you been shopping already now that England is open for business again? We certainly have. We couldn't wait to get out and about recently. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, you're most welcome. Do check our first episode, episode zero, to get a sense of our vision and hopefully you'll like what you hear and then subscribe to our life-giving and culturally diverse learning community. If you're already part of the community, then lovely one, thank you for the journey so far. I can't wait to hear what you think of our series. I'd really love to hear from you. So do get online via any of your streaming platforms and send me your thoughts by way of review or a message on our account via our website. You can also leave me a comment on Instagram or on Facebook. Links are all in the show notes. So more about today's topic and why it's important. Nature study or outdoor learning, as some would call it, is probably, I would argue, one of the hidden privileges of homeschool children. Many homeschool children spend more time outdoors familiarising themselves with the environment or just playing. Unlike their school counterparts, who, according to a report commissioned by the National Trust in 2018, spend an average of four hours a week playing outdoors, which apparently is half the time that these children's parents, I mean, that is you and I, did as children. We apparently, on average, spent 8.2 hours playing outside per week. Now children play for four hours a week. And if you think that's really bad, according to this report, children between the age of 10 to 16 now spend only 12.6 minutes a day on physical outdoor activity compared with 10.4 waking hours being relatively motionless. And to think this was all before lockdown, I can't even begin to imagine what it's been like for many children in the last 12 months in terms of physical activity. I know in my home, we've certainly struggled in as much as we have, you know, been out walking as often as we can, but not being able to do sports and meet up with friends in parks and things like that has been a real struggle for my son. Back to nature study. Nature study or outdoor learning, as I've mentioned, is the effort of encouraging children to pay close attention to and form a lifelong habit of appreciating and loving their natural environment. The practice of nature study as opposed to natural science is closely associated with the philosophy of Charlotte Mason. Charlotte Mason, as I've mentioned many times before on this podcast, was a 19th century Victorian English Christian educator who spoke extensively on this topic. For Miss Mason, Children, especially young children, should be given the opportunity to spend long periods of time outdoors so that they can become well acquainted with their immediate natural surroundings well before formal learning. 
she would say probably till about six. She often advocated to most urban parents' shock, (laughs) including me, for keeping children outdoors for as long as three to four hours per day. If you compare that to the average child today who spends only four hours per week, if Miss Mason was alive, would probably in fits to think of how bad things are today. Through outdoor learning, she believed that children can develop their mental habit of attention through observation, object investigation, as well as strengthen their physical and language development through climbing, singing, picture narration, and many other valuable lessons. Nature offers children the opportunity to develop a sense of beauty and structure, upon which they're able to wonder and ultimately learn to care for and delight in our created world. Nature knowledge is most important for young children. It would be well if we all persons in authority, parent and all who act for parents could make up their minds that there is no sort of knowledge to be got in these early years so valuable to children as that which they get for themselves of the world they live in. Let them once get in touch with nature and a habit is formed which will be a source of delight through life. We are all meant to be naturalists, each in his degree, and it is inexcusable to live in a world so full of marvels of plant and animal life and to care for none of these things. Charlotte Mason. Having experienced the effect of nature study in my own home, I couldn't agree more with Charlotte Mason. In my home, nature study has been a gift that keeps on giving. Prior to encountering Miss Mason, when I started homeschooling, my relationship with nature was rather limited. I've always loved the aesthetics of nature, don't get me wrong. The majestic landscapes, the beautiful composition of colours and shapes, and a sense of freedom and inspiration that being outdoors brings. This is why, for me, spring is hands down my most favourite time of the year. However, until I started nature study, like I said, my relationship with nature was pretty transactional. Miss Mason's view on nature study has given me new lenses, as well as a language and reason to fully appreciate and interpret nature with my son. We now explore nature not only as a science or health necessity, but as an act of worship of the divine creator who created nature itself. For my son, who has always been an observant child, our rituals of nature study have given him the lyrics to a song that he had long held in his heart. And admittedly, for me, in the past, I just did not have the capacity, the time or wherewithal to engage with him in the horrid life that we lived. Through our weekly nature walks, which Miss Mason advocates, and our you know, daily garden investigations, my son has been able to keep a growing collection of dead bugs and insects. And he's been able to closely observe creepy crawlies, which I leave him to do because I'm not interested in that. We've been able to incubate, watch and care for caterpillars until they turn into, they became butterflies and we let them go. We've been able to build bird houses and feeders keep bug hotels, study trees throughout the seasons, observe ponds, keep a journal of a variety of our favourite flowers, birds and leaves. None of these things were a reality in my world until I encountered Miss Mason. This is why I'm so excited to be speaking to another nature study loving home ed mom today who has been practising this science, if you like, for want of a better word, for much longer and is as passionate about it as I am. I know that there will be so much to glean from Ronnie's experience of nature study. So before I bring Ronnie in, let's pause for some nature-inspired reading from Shakespeare's Midsummer Night Dream by Ronnie's eldest daughter, Dalal. I am going to recite an extract from Midsummer's Night Dream by William Shakespeare. It is a speech by Oberon, who is king of the fairies. He is about to prank the fairy queen Titania by casting a spell on her, which makes her fall in love with the first thing she sees. 
He goes to her when she is sleeping on a bank in the woods and puts the juice of the loving aldness with his flower, which is actually a wild pansy, into her eyes. Okay. Miss Summersight Dream, Act 2, Scene 1. I know a bank where the wild thyme blows, where oak's lips and the northern violet grows, quite over canopy where luscious woodbine, sweet muscular roses and with eggland thyme. There sleeps Titania some time of the night, lulled in these flowers with dances and delight. And there a snake throws her enamelled skin, weed wide enough to wrap a fairy in. And with the juice of this, I'll streak her eyes and make her full of hateful fantasies. Thank you, Dalal, for that beautifully read poem. Welcome, Ronnie. So, let me tell you about the woman we're going to be speaking to today. Veronica Aspalat, known famously as Ronnie from Multicultural Motherhood, is a speech pathologist, a language speech therapist who specialises in bilingualism. After qualifying as a language speech therapist in 2012, she went on to undertake a PhD research in bilingualism and autism. She's a British Muslima from Polish background. Ronnie is married to a Kurd from Turkey and together they have four beautiful multilingual children whom they both home educate. When Ronnie goes to work part-time, her husband is in charge, which I think is just a beautiful picture of how home education should work. Her children speak English and Turkish and they learn Arabic as a foreign language with a bit of Polish thrown in for good measure. Ronnie is the original Instagram expert. I mean, seriously, her fresh and inspiring daily reels and content breeds so much life into the home ed community. She is a blogger extraordinaire and she has been blogging consistently since 2014. She blogs about multilingual, multicultural and her multicultural journey as a home ed mum. And she talks about parenting and nature study. Ronnie specialises in running online courses and services that help parents boost their children's speech, language and literacy skills. She also creates resources on multilingualism, parenting and nature schooling. Ronnie currently offers three amazing resources on nature study and outdoor schooling. And I believe that nature study is one of her favourite topics in the homeschooling world. So without further ado, I have the privilege of introducing this phenomenal home ed mom to you. And I can't wait for us to take a peek into how the rituals and practices of her outdoor schooling and nature study in this program. So welcome, Ronnie. Thank you very much. And thank you for that lovely introduction. My pleasure. All of it very true. (laughs) I see it daily and I don't know how you do it. I think... You're absolutely amazing with four children. I have one child and I struggle to put it all together and you make it look so easy and your content is always so fresh. So I can't wait to to dig into how all of that comes together. It's just absolutely magical. So thank you for being so inspiring to all of us. Thank you. Wonderful. So Ronnie, I noticed that um, you started homeschooling from when your daughter, who read the poem to us earlier, was three years old and it wasn't something that you actually meant to, you kind of stumble on it through personal circumstances. So do would you tell us a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, well, um, homeschooling was definitely not something that I had ever thought of doing before. Um, it wasn't until my eldest was three years old. We were actually living in Germany at the time. We mm-hmm. lived there for about six, seven months. And um So she turned three and she was at that age where I thought, oh, she's going to start kindergarten soon. Mm. Um, So I went to the local kindergartens and I put her name down and they said the waiting list is so long. It's like 500 kids long. Wow. And then that got me thinking, if we stay in Germany, she won't be able to go to kindergarten. Mm. She'll probably won't get a place. I mean, the waiting list is so long. She won't get a place until they start school. And over there, they start school at the age of seven. Right. So then I got thinking, well, what am I going to do with her until she turns seven, Mm. you know, because 
obviously coming from the UK, I'm used to um, children start school at four here. Mm, It's like, mm. well, she should be starting school in a year's time. And, Mm. you know, she needs to learn how to read and how to do maths and things like that. Mm. So, yeah, so I got really worried because I thought, what am I going to do with her until she turns seven? So I started looking into home education. This was the first time I had ever looked into home education. Mm -hmm. So the first book I read about it was a book called You Can Do It Too. Mm -hmm. And it was 25 interviews with homeschooling families about how they homeschool. Wow. And I don't think it's a very popular book. I mean, I haven't seen other people recommend it or anything. It was just something that I stumbled across. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I read that book, I was just completely hooked. And I just thought, wow, you know, I can do this because, you know, you could see through that book that everyone had a different way of doing it. And it was just really, it seemed really possible thing Mm -hmm. to do. It seemed like anyone could do it. So, yeah, after that, I was like, why does anybody send their kids to school? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) It was just amazing. It was just eye opening. So then I was like, right, that's it. She's never going to school. I'm going to home educate. Brilliant. But then, you know, we were living in Germany. And uh-huh. actually, in Germany, homeschooling is illegal. Ah, uh, okay. You're not allowed to homeschool. Okay. So then, you know, that caused a problem because I was like really like keen on homeschooling. But we were living in a country where we couldn't homeschool. Right. And, you know, that goes back to Hitler's times, really. You mm, know, okay. Okay. Illegal and... You know, it's all about everyone has to go to school and right. you know, learn the same thing. Yeah, a certain way of thinking and mm. things. So yeah, even now today, it's still illegal, unfortunately. So yeah, that was one of the reasons we actually came back to the UK because my husband and I were both really keen on home educating, and we both thought it was the best thing to do for our children. So yeah, we home educated for a couple of years then. And I got so much negativity from my family. I was pressurized a lot. So when my daughter was year one, so I think she was five and a half, Mm -hmm. I did actually put her into school for a year. And it was mainly due to pressure from family. And, you know, I was pregnant with my third child. We just Mm -hmm. moved house. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe school is just easier. So she did end up going to school for a year. But, you know, as soon as I put her in school, I just thought, oh, I miss homeschooling, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard once you've got used to that freedom. It's really hard to go back into this rigid, structured system. And especially being pregnant as well, sorry. You know, you're pregnant, you've got two children, a toddler and another child at school, pick up, drop off. It couldn't have been easy for you at all. And how did your daughter take to being at school at that age when she'd never been to school before? Did she fit in easily? How how was that? You know, she did actually. She's a very sociable person and she didn't have any problems making friends. She didn't have any problems picking up on the work because, you know, we were quite laid back. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm one of these people who thinks that children start school way too young in mm-hmm. this country. And mm-hmm. if you look around the world, most countries, they start at the age of six or seven. And yeah. Children don't do like maths and learning to read until they start school at the age of six and seven. So Mm. I wasn't really worried. I wasn't teaching her phonics or anything. So she started year one without knowing how to read. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the first term, she'd caught up with the rest of the class. Brilliant. And, you know, that just goes to show that Mm. when children are that little bit older, they're more cognitively able to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other children have spent a whole year learning phonics and she'd spent one term and was now at the same level as them. And it wasn't, I don't think, because she was particularly bright. It was because she was just more cognitively ready to learn. Yeah, she's ready. Yeah. And probably more open to learning because there's been no negative experiences associated with the process, which you probably find when you're dealing with a three, four year old because they just want to play at that point. And I say that because that was my experience with my son. He was pushed way too early and, and yeah. therefore had, had, had problems later. Fantastic. So, so your husband bought into the idea of homeschooling rather seamlessly, but then most of the reactions that you got came from, from family who found it rather strange that you yeah. were home educating. How interesting. How interesting. And you seem like such a, a powerful force to be reckoned with that you know I'm surprised to hear that you you actually bent to the pressure um but we we all live and learn don't we (laughs) so what made you pull her out again how how did that 
come about? Yeah, well, like I said, it was just really difficult mm. um, going back to that structure. I, you know, the main thing really was because I have so much specialist knowledge about bilingualism. Mm. I did re- postgraduate research on mm-hmm. bilingualism. Bringing my kids up as bilingual was extremely important to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody knows that the younger, the better, really. So yeah. I was really trying to instill that knowledge of multiple languages from an early age. And for me, it was one of the most important things for them to be learning at that age. Right. You know, when they're like four and five, I want them to be learning multiple languages rather than learning maths, for right. example. Right. So my children were actually going to Turkish school and Arabic school at the weekends. Mm-hmm. And this was a huge problem because on Saturday, my daughter would go to Turkish school for mm-hmm. half a day. Mm-hmm. And then on Sunday, she'd go to Arabic school for half a day. Mm-hmm. So that meant she was going to school seven days a week. Yeah, which is intense. It, which it is really, intense. Yeah. And it's a huge problem because she wasn't having any time to play. Yeah. We didn't have any time, you know, just to go to the park and things like this. And, yeah. you know, we'd go months without going for a walk and things like yeah. this. It sounds crazy, but it was just way too much. And I went to the head teacher and I said, look, she's going to language schools at the weekend she can she have a day off you know mm. because there is such a thing as flexi school of course where yeah children can go to school for some days and stay home for some days so yeah. I thought perhaps we just get like one or two days off school yeah but the head teacher was really really against it yeah um, eventually he said that she could have half a day off a week mm-hmm. so she could have Friday afternoons off okay because he was really worried about her maths and English, mm-hmm. which is what they do in the mornings at school. Yeah, yeah. And um, that, that is a priority know, for primary schools, it's really, It's a priority. It? Yeah. And um, the problem is, once they've been to school until lunchtime, that's when they've done all their hard work. Mm-hmm. The afternoons are for the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So not only was it really not any different in terms of, you know, the amount of work she was doing, mm-hmm. she was also missing out on all the fun stuff. And mm-hmm. she'd say to me, you know... I want to do the art lesson in the afternoon or I've missed the science experiment. Mm. You know, all of the fun stuff that was happening in the afternoon, she was missing out on Mm. and she was having to do all the hard stuff that was making her tired. Mm. So really having half a day off a week did absolutely nothing for any of us. And in the end, I just thought enough's enough. I'm just going to take her out again. But, you know, Mm -hmm. the other thing is we just wanted to spend more time traveling. We want to spend more time in Turkey where my in-laws live and yeah, I just want them to grow up with the different cultures, you know, right. have an awareness of what things are like over there, get to know their family and things. So I don't just want to be, you know, stuck to the school holidays, really, yeah. because it just doesn't seem enough time. And, you know, the prices go up in the summer holidays of course, and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. you know, I just wanted the freedom to be able to travel backwards and forwards whenever we wanted. Brilliant. That makes so much sense. Ronnie, that's just such an interesting story. And it's, um, I think what I've, I've loved hearing so far is how what you're teaching, um, preaching within your work, you've also set out to live that out with your children in terms of giving them that exposure to the, the dual culture or biculture that you're raising them up in. So well done for making those choices and it's clearly paid off. So tell me a little bit more about your homeschooling approach I know that you do dip into the Charlotte Mason somewhat because I think that's one of the first places I met you uh, last year on the Facebook Charlotte Mason conversation page we probably have been following each other but didn't really know each other that well I also know you're not a purist so there are other things that you you sort of bring into your homeschooling approach so tell me about how you homeschool in general Yeah, well, I think I take a lot from the Charlotte Mason approach. I mean, I really like the way it focuses on short lessons Mm -hmm. and living books and spending as much time as possible outdoors. I think it was that quote from Charlotte Mason, never be with indoors when you can rightly be without. I think that was one of the things that really drew me to the Charlotte Mason approach because I was just, when I read that, I was like, wow why do we need to be indoors? Why can't we just go outdoors with our books and, you know, learn in in the countryside, Mm. you know, in the fresh air? Why are we containing ourselves within our houses? You know, Mm. learning can happen everywhere. And um, yeah, so that really drew me. And then I just, I'm a really big book lover. So the fact that Charlotte Mason always talks about 
living books, rich books where you're going to get amazing ideas Mm. from. That really, really drew me in. And yeah, I just love it. I love how all of these things like there's so many nice little things like the book of centuries right. and nature journaling and things like that. Mm. I just love it. But I would say I'm not a purist in the sense that I don't follow a Charlotte Mason curriculum. I don't really like following curriculums full stop, to be right. honest, because okay. I just like to follow the child a bit more. Mm. So, yeah, I, I don't really go on Ambleside online, which mm. is where you get the Charlotte Mason curriculum. From. Yeah. I don't do anything like that. And I do kind of think it is a bit full on, that website, yeah. um, the <laughs> curriculum. It, it is a bit full yeah. on. So I kind of pick and choose what I want from Charlotte Mason. We mm. do the nature study. We do the living books. The other things I really like are composer study, mm. art study. Yeah. I love those kind of things, too, because it's like, instilling your child with that sense of culture right which you know I didn't learn anything about at school I didn't learn about composers I didn't learn about artists really Mm. at school Mm. I mean you know I kind of knew who Picasso was and Van Gogh but that was about it so yeah I love those things I love those things about Charlotte Mason so I would I kind of take that approach but then adapt it a little bit to fit our needs so what I tend to do is in terms of what we what I do is I ask the children what topics they would like to study. So right. we do all of the kind of Charlotte Mason bits, you know, folk mm-hmm. music, nature study, composer study. Mm-hmm. We do the history as well quite a lot from Charlotte Mason. Yeah. But then I ask the children what they want to study and we do that as like a main topic. Right. So we change our main topic monthly really okay. So at the moment we're doing about ocean animals, marine biology because mm-hmm. the children love that kind of thing mm-hmm. just before this we did about the periodic table which was actually something that I introduced to the children right and then my eldest absolutely loved it so yeah. then we ended up doing that for a long time yeah um so yeah that's what I do really and I make sure I spend as much time as possible outdoors because I really believe that children are spending they're not spending enough time outdoors and they need to be getting outdoors more yeah and lockdown hasn't helped with getting out much has it because you know most things are yeah. closed and the restrictions about how many people can be out and all of that. So good on you that you have, you know, maintained that standard. But it's interesting. It's, it's so many people or, or many of us who follow the Charlotte Mason approach are very quick to say, I'm not a purist. But when we get down to it, we really do. Most, most of our schooling <laughs> yeah. in the Charlotte Mason way. Um, and I think even people who are experts, I mean, even, um, if I could say Leia, who, you know, I, I really look up to when it comes to Charlotte Mason, she doesn't follow a curriculum at all. And that Charlotte yeah. Mason herself didn't have a curriculum. So yeah, it, it is, true. it's what's beautiful <laughs> about it is something that you can pick and choose and, and craft around your own lifestyle. And that's what I, I love about it. It's so organic. And I think that's because it's grounded in that thing that children are whole persons, you know, that you yeah. do have to form your education around the child, you know, and respecting the child. So well done that you, you have found a way to craft your, your homeschooling approach around what your children enjoy, but around the philosophies that works for them as well and what you know to be good for them. So fantastic. So it's a, a little bit eclectic. Well, I wouldn't even say, I think it's more Charlotte Mason than eclectic. <laughs> <laughs> Probably I'm Charlotte Mason, yeah. It's okay, yeah, own I'm it. Mason, it's fine. <laughs> You're within company here. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I shouldn't say I'm doing Charlotte Mason because I'm not following the curriculum. No. But, you know. There is no such Maybe thing. Maybe I am really at heart. You are. I think so. It's fine. Let's take on the label. We'll do it in our own way. I mean, I, I love what Amber Johnston says that in her home, Charlotte Mason wears an afro. I mean, I just think oh, that's my, it's right. So in, in your yeah. home, Charlotte Mason wears a hijab and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So talking about nature study and being outdoors, which I hear you echo so beautifully about one of the things that you draw from Charlotte Mason. It's not the first thing when people think about you, A, because of your name and because of your area of expertise. But if, you know, one follows you before long, what you see on your Instagram tiles and even on your blog page is a lot of stuff around outdoor schooling and nature schooling. 
I know that you've got three courses, in fact. One of the first ones I came in contact with was Into the Night Sky, your astronomy course. And I know that you've done another course on sort of packaging and going out, exploring what you need, resources. So a more practical course, as well as a a curriculum-based course as well. So could you tell us a little bit about that? I would love to get more into how you do nature study yourself, but I'm also interested in the resources that you have developed on nature study. Yeah, when, you know, a couple of years after I started to homeschool, I learned about the wonderful curriculum, which is the only one that we follow, actually, okay. which is Exploring Nature with the Children. Yes, with the, um, Lynn Seddon. And this a yes. wonderful yeah. curriculum mm. um, created by the lovely Lynn Seddon, mm. who is a British educator. Mm. And um, it's just wonderful because every week you have a different topic, a different nature-related topic to explore. And it's it's all focused around the Charlotte Mason approach. So every week you have a piece of art to study, a poem to read. And it's all about going on a nature walk and what to look out for to do with that topic in that week. And there's lots of activities and things to help you. So this was kind of my first exposure to nature study, really. Mm -hmm. Before this, I hadn't really thought that much about nature. Like I'd always been someone who liked to be outdoors, Mm -hmm. but I'd never really thought about it too much in an educational way because... Mm -hmm. Growing up in the British school system, we didn't really learn much about nature. I Mm -hmm. mean, even now, you don't see nature study on the curriculum. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I left school, I couldn't name any wildflowers, really, apart from, like, daisies and daffodils. Yeah, yeah. Um, There is a bit of it in primary school, but just really, I think in reception year one, they do tree studies and things like that, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't really learn anything, so... finding this curriculum was like my way in to Mm. nature study and realizing actually there's so much we can learn from the natural world yeah um so that's when I first started to really incorporate nature study into our homeschooling Mm. and that kind of led to this interest that just kind of took off and I started to read lots of books about getting outdoors with kids and forest schools and Mm. outdoor education So then, I mean, I just had so much knowledge and I wanted to share it with everyone. Mm. So I decided to create some courses about it. And the first course I created is called A Childhood Wild. And it's about sharing tips and strategies to help parents spend more time outdoors as a family to kind of reconnect with nature. Mm -hmm. So it looks at all of the benefits of being outdoors, the educational benefits, physical health, mental health, right. you know, and what it does for communities as well, all mm-hmm. of those kind of benefits. And then that's the first part of the course. And the second part is all about strategies and tips and, you know, how you can spend more time outdoors mm-hmm. with your family. So mm-hmm. that was the first course I created. Brilliant. And then I created another course, which was more for the practical one, you know, things that you need, creating a kit to go outdoors Mm. and all the kind of best nature study books and resources that you can use for nature study Mm. that was my second course and then I decided to go a bit more into the curricular Mm -hmm. um, side of things because I wanted to create something that parents could work with their children on you know I didn't want to just focus on parents anymore I wanted to actually do something that was you know, a family, something for families. Right. Um, so my Exploring the Night Sky curriculum is really a unit study. So there's different topics. There's the stars, the sun, the moon, and it gives you factual information. Right. Um, as well as activities and experiments. So it's really like you can use that as, you know, a standalone resource to help you learn about the night sky. Right. Perfect yeah. timing, Ronnie, because we, we've just got, well, actually, we bought a curriculum from the Good and the Beautiful, their astronomy course last year, but never got around to using it. So that's one of the topics, unit topics that we're about to start. So thanks for the tip. I'll certainly be purchasing <laughs> yours. I'm sure there'll be more of an English <laughs> curriculum perspective there. It's probably all the same thing, but I tend to like to have more than one curriculum if I'm going to use a curriculum to to yeah. study a topic just so that I can cross-reference things so yeah. perfect and, um, you know I've really enjoyed writing it actually and I have a couple of other 
nature study curricula on the go at the moment behind the scenes but um it is taking me a while to do them because you know I'm just quite busy with other things as well but mm-hmm. I hopefully later in the year maybe in the later in the spring or in the summer I'll have those ready as well I hope wonderful I'm not surprised to hear it at all <laughs> So let's talk about I know, your home. I, never stop. <laughs> I can imagine, and that's the way we love it. Let's talk about nature study at home because obviously, what you have created, the courses that you've created, you've drawn from your own experiences and from what you have learned as well. What does nature study or outdoor learning looks like in your home on a weekly or daily basis, even? Yeah, well, our routine is such that we stay at home in the morning and do all of our you know, maths, English, and then our main topic. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon, we head outdoors. So sometimes we will go, you know, with a picnic for lunch, or sometimes we'll eat lunch at home and then head out. But, you know, afternoons are always our outdoor time. We want to spend as much time as possible outdoors in the afternoon. Mm. So yeah, that's the routine that we've got into really. And You know, at the start, like I said, we were following this um, Exploring Nature with Children curriculum, and we Mm -hmm. still do dip into it in and out. Now I'm finding that I'm doing, I'm using it more with my younger one than with my older ones, because I think it can get a bit repetitive to do the same thing year after year. Right. But, you know, what I've realised now is, now that we've been doing this for a number of years, the children will actually pick up on things and, you know, discover things for themselves they mm. they got much more interested in observing nature so, so you know they just you know at the start I think it was quite difficult for them we would go outside and they wouldn't really know what they were supposed to be looking at but mm-hmm. now they're like so into it they'll just cut they'll point stuff out to me you know mm. they'll point out like some lichen or a fungus they found and or they'll, they'll see a bird and they'll be like oh what bird is that can we work out what bird it is they love to discover this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just really lovely to see, actually, because yeah. it's something that I really didn't experience in my childhood. Mm. Um, but it's lovely that they've got in touch with nature now and they're able to enjoy it. Yeah. And it's so beautiful to see when a child falls in love with the environment around them, isn't it? And they can anticipate what's coming next. Because I see that with my own child. He'll go into the garden and and come back and say, gosh, mum, look what's come out. The snowdrops have come out. The crocuses are here. You know, there's a robin in the garden. Whereas before we started homeschooling, that that never happened. Not that he didn't see them, but there weren't points of discussion. Neither did he feel that it was interesting enough to highlight um, yeah. but he is just as passionate about, you know, observing, like you're saying, the seasons of nature, the symbols of seasons of nature, as he would want to talk about a meme, for example, which I think is, is really interesting. It's a brilliant. And how do you bring all of that observation into the context of learning? Because there's one thing to observe. But until you reflect on what you're observing, that information could just remain information rather than sort of knowledge that that becomes part and parcel of you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, quite often we will maybe bring something home, you know, that we found Mm. or take pictures. And then when we get back home, we can discover a bit more about it Mm -hmm. and I think it's quite important um I talk quite a lot about being a nature mentor for your child beautiful and what really that is is helping them to discover nature but not giving them all the answers you know a mentor is not someone who just teaches Mm -hmm. it's someone who kind of sits back a bit and Mm -hmm. actually asks their child the questions you Mm -hmm. know to get their child thinking Mm -hmm. and quite often the children can come up with their own ideas and Mm -hmm. they can you know discover things for themselves we don't always have to be feeding children information sometimes it's about asking them the question you know they might come and you and say oh why is this like this? And you'll go well why do you think it's like this? Right right. Get them to like use their their brains and start thinking about these things for themselves you know why do you think there's some bird footprints there or why do you think this egg is here where did it come from yeah getting them to think for themselves I think is really really important yes and it is the Charlotte Mason way isn't it that we facilitate especially when it comes to nature she's all about not really showing them what to look for but sort of just presenting the opportunity and then asking them to tell us, right? So that's so, so spot on. And how do you find with that approach, 
how do they present the information? You know, do they do projects around what they're learning? Do they keep journals? Do they, you know, how, how do you move on from the sort of them coming back and saying, look, we found this squirrel's little furry tail or something like that? What, what do you then do? Yeah, well, um, I think nature journaling is great for this because mm-hmm. they can come back home. Also, you know, quite often we'll take our nature journals out with us okay. and they can just draw, you know, what they see when it's in front of them. So that is a really good thing to do. But, you know, there's not always time because sometimes when they're out, <laughs> they do just want to run around. They yeah. don't want to sit all <laughs> yeah. the time and, you know, spend an hour doing a painting. <laughs> so in that instance we will bring it back with us if we can't bring it back we'll take the picture and then when we get back home yeah they can paint from the picture or they can look up another picture of the same thing mm-hmm. and copy that but yeah nature journaling is just brilliant for that I mean they can do a little picture and then they can maybe write a little bit about where they saw it or anything they found out about it mm-hmm. that is that is the best thing to do I think with nature studies yeah And have you taught nature journaling specifically or have you just allowed the children to just um, record whichever way they like? Are are you a stickler for that it's got to be a watercolour? It's, you know, you've got to make sure that you write the descriptions and, you know, the sort of John Muir approach. I'm not really, I'm not really, I'm not like... I'm not really into dictating what the children do. I quite okay. like to present them with an idea mm-hmm. and then see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I do just let them do their own thing. I let them draw what they want mm-hmm. in their nature journals. And, you know, for a long time, actually, they didn't do any writing. But now, you know, I do say, oh, come on, can we do a little bit of writing mm. to go with it? You know, the older ones. Yeah. The younger ones can you label, yes, the tree, yeah, uh, You know, as they get a bit older, they can. Um, and at the beginning, it's absolutely fine just to let them draw the pictures. Because mm-hmm. even from a picture, you know, we talk about in Charlotte, the Charlotte Mace philosophy, narrating a picture, mm-hmm. you know, even just looking at a picture, it can like take you back to that moment where you were in the woods and you found that thing and yes, it can take absolutely. you back just from looking at a picture. So yeah. you don't have to always do a lot of writing. But, you know, as they do get a bit older, it is nice if they find out any facts or anything they want to note down that they can actually write it in their nature journal. Yeah, yeah. And do you do, I mean, I'm just thinking about what you said about describing or narrating a picture, which I think is such a beautiful thing. We try to do that with picture study. And do you do that at all as you go along and you're observing? Do you get the children to recall and describe what they see? Is that something that you practice within your rituals? Well, I guess it comes down to the nature mentoring and, you know, mm-hmm. asking your child the question. So, yeah. you know, they see a fungus and you can say to them, oh, what do you notice about this fungus? Right. You know, what colour is it? Can you describe it? Why do you think it's here and not over there? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of that nature mentoring, mm. you know, trying to ask them questions to come up with ideas and narrations for themselves. Beautiful. Thank you so much. The The other thing as well that I love about nature study is, especially using the Explore Nature with Children, Lynn Seddon's uh, curriculum, is all the other elements that come together to enrich the subject, like the poetry, which <laughs> I love so much. I really love nature poems. It never was a thing for me. But now, because of Explore Nature with Children, I always look at seasonal poems does that feature in your in your rituals? Yeah, actually, some of our favourite poetry books are about nature. You know, the one that I can think of off the top of my head is I'm the Seed That Grew the Tree, oh, um, beautiful which is one. the lovely one mm-hmm. produced, I think, by the National Trust. Mm-hmm. We've actually been using that for our copy work for a couple of years oh, now, um, which is just lovely because, you know, it's just full of so many different poems. And what we quite often do is we look at the poem that, it is, you know, for mm-hmm. this day of the year. And then, you know, sometimes the children don't always like the poem. So they yeah, will say, well, what was the poem yesterday or the poem tomorrow? Yeah. You know, do you like one of those better to do copy work? Because I always yeah. um, allow the children to choose what yes. they do for copy work because then, you know, they're more motivated, aren't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yes. um, So, yeah, I do love the nature poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got another lovely poetry book. It's called Come Follow Me. can't remember the author of the top of my head it's like a compilation so it's mm-hmm. not just by one author right. but you know the nature 
poem section of that book mm-hmm. I absolutely love as well mm-hmm. and um you know quite often if I ask my children to write some poetry mm-hmm. they will write a poem about nature oh really oh wow yeah so wonderful so it's something that's sort of actually become part of who they are now right it's part of absolutely. their sort of yeah. cognitive library brilliant brilliant and what's your what do you think is your, that your children's favorite aspect of nature i mean i i can see you know looking at exploring the night sky for me my my son loves astronomy but he also um equally loves just the process of observing nature and bringing that into the home and looking so he variates a lot but do your children have any specific areas that they they like yeah well uh, my 5 year old absolutely loves astronomy as well really? that oh. is his favorite part of nature study <laughs> Um, he really wants to go to the moon and collect some moon rock (laughs) so we do do quite a lot about rockets and going to space but my others they absolutely love animals any kinds of animals at the moment they requested to do an ocean animal topic like I said Um, so we're doing that at the moment but actually quite often when I ask them what topics they want to study mm-hmm. it's usually animal related so okay. we've done about rainforest animals we've done about African animals yeah you know we've done all sorts of different animals and mm-hmm. I think you know the younger ones as well they love to look at bugs yeah so my three-year-old yes. at the moment she is looking everywhere for bugs all the time oh. up dogs <laughs> and you know seeing the wood lice yeah yeah there's any ladybirds and things so I think you know as they get older they do get different nature related interests so I think it always kind of starts off with the bugs doesn't it when they're very young yeah you know they love the snails and the worms and things like that and then as they get older they kind of develop different interests in nature so yeah my older two just love any kind of animal yeah Um, and then my five-year-old loves the astronomy fantastic and what I, I love about nature study is how following the seasons, you get to run across all of these different things anyway. There is that season, you know, of creating bug hotels and looking for bugs everywhere and the season for lifting up stones and looking for worms, which I never, I don't like creepy crawlies. So (laughs) I'm happy to totally unschool when it comes to nature study with my child he collects things and I buy all the the um the containers for him to put it in where the dead dead ones of course but I do not want to see them oh yeah we do collect (laughs) we haven't it's very interesting because you know when you find like a dead animal a dead bee or something you know you can really observe it closely and you don't get that opportunity when it's like buzzing around everywhere do you so actually it is quite exciting for the children I think when they come across a dead bee or a a dead butterfly or something you know we do quite often take those back home and Mm. you know we we paint them you know in our nature journals and we study them maybe get the microscope out yes yes you know it's it's brilliant it's a brilliant way to learn I mean a lot of people are quite squeamish actually yeah but you know it's good if the children don't mind it then just let them get on with it I yeah so do you keep no I mean definitely that's what we do I don't mind the bugs and the butterflies and the dead ones of course but the worms and the snails no I draw the (laughs) line (laughs) yeah they try and bring it to you no no we will not get close to those things (laughs) some boundaries need to be set (laughs) yeah But um, do you keep a nature study table at all, Ronnie? Do do you have an area where, depending on, like your children are looking at um, ocean animals and things like that, would you have a display set up and and labels Um, and things? Well, I do try to do this Mm -hmm. kind of thing, but I think over the last year with lockdown, my Mm -hmm. house has just become a complete mess. Oh, it's the same for all of us. (laughs) Too much time indoors, yeah. No, but it is something that I do try to do every now and again, and I would recommend it if you have the space mm-hmm. but for some reason over lockdown it's just not happening <laughs> yeah no I think everybody I mean and I've seen a few posts about this that it's hard to maintain order atmosphere in the home when you're there 24 7 at one Absolutely. point I thought it was just me and this has been the one of the, the points of of contention with my son and I so I feel like I'm constantly tidying up 
But I know it's because we're home all the time and he cannot yeah. be as fastidious as I am about keeping things tidy. <laughs> yeah. So, so I absolutely, yeah, you're, you're in the right frame. You're not the only one. Um, and our nature table is when we're doing the work afterwards, everything gets packed up and put away straight away. Otherwise, it just becomes a huge mess. But it, it is a wonderful practice, isn't it? Where you're yeah, able. Yeah, definitely. If you've got space, if you've got a spare table or a spare shelf. Yeah. I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah. It's just at the moment trying to find a space and maintaining it. Yeah. That is an issue. But when you do do it, can you tell me a little bit about what it looks like for listeners for whom this may be a foreign concept, never heard of it? What would nature study table look like for you? And maybe give me an example if you were looking at astronomy or ocean animals how would you set it up and what would it look like yeah so what I would do is maybe gather together a couple of books on Mm. the topic Mm -hmm. maybe print off some pictures about you know the animals or whatever we're studying and for the younger ones I like to get a few kind of animal figures so you know I might get a tub of you know ocean animal figures and Mm -hmm. I would set that up as well and you know if we go to the beach then they would collect stuff from the beach, you know, maybe some seaweed and some rocks and anything that kind of represents the ocean. And then they could bring it back home and set it up on the table. Yeah. So it's a, it's a kind of cross between Charlotte Mason and Montessori style where you have these practical sensory experiences, right? Visual and sensory experiences yeah, where the children... Yeah. I mean, nature mm. study table is not something I don't think that Charlotte Mason did. Mm. So yeah, it's more of a kind of modern thing I would say Mm. it's just about having something visual for your children to be able to see and then go up to and explore you know whenever it takes their fancy yes and especially because children have different learning styles so my son's quite a visual learner and also kind of really kinesthetic so he likes to feel things he likes to experiment with whatever he's learning so nature study table I mean it's not just for the nature study we do that even with science we tend to have things displayed and we have to have experiments to go with it for it to come alive so I think it's it's such a a great thing to add to your splice if you like (laughs) of of nature study wonderful Ronnie so what about does does music feature in any of this I mean not that it necessarily has to I know art does we talked about nature journaling I know that um, Lynn Seddon often would have an art piece for the week as well that children can imitate or to inspire them. But do you bring in, not necessarily speaking, I'm just looking at the variety of things that are out there that you can use. Does music feature in any of this as well? I wouldn't say we link our music to nature. We Mm -hmm. do do our composer study and our folk song learning. But I don't, I don't really relate it at all to nature. I would mm-hmm. say the only thing that has cropped up would really be Vivaldi and the seasons. Yes, um, yes. Because obviously that's about the seasons. Yes. But no, in general, yeah, I don't link music to nature study. Just yeah. because I think when you're out in nature, there's actually so many different sounds around mm. you that are really beautiful. Yeah. You know, like listening to the bird song. Yeah. Or, you know, listening to the breeze rustles all the leaves and things like that yes. so I think actually it's kind of like music in itself when you're yes nature, you're so right you know, just listening to all of those different sounds and it it can be really nice actually what I try to get my children to do sometimes is something called sit spotting where mm. you just sit and just listen and mm-hmm. observe you know you have to sit still maybe like 15 minutes or so Mm-hmm. You know, listen what can you hear what can you see what can mm-hmm. you smell you know experience nature with all of your senses yeah I think it's so important I love that sit spotting that's something that um <laughs> we might try <laughs> yeah, give it a go and it's really yeah, good I love it spot just yeah. sit spotting because yeah. then you can just see observe how it changes throughout the season yeah brilliant I mean we tend to do sort of quiet walking when we do our nature walk, where I sort of encourage sort of quietly walking and not chatting. Um, obviously, I do encourage him to tell me what he's exploring, but just also being able to observe with you, your yeah. your hearing and, and smells and all of that. But I do like the idea of sitting. Yeah. <laughs> just finding a tree. Nice rest. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice rest. A shady tree. 
<laughs> and listening and especially listening to the bird songs and the yeah it's so beautiful are there any tips ronnie that you might have for somebody who may be new to nature study maybe they're hearing this for the first time and thinking oh this is really interesting how do i start where do i start if i want to incorporate this into my um homeschooling or maybe they may not be homeschooling but love the enrichment that home education brings how would someone like that start um well i think it's quite important to get into the habit of being outdoors so you mm-hmm. know just try and spend a short amount of time every day or you know every other day as much as you can outdoors mm. and you know try and go outdoors even if it's raining even mm. if it's cold you know because once you get out in it it's not really that bad I think a lot of people especially over the last couple of months because it's been winter and the weather's been horrible you know you can sit indoors and you just look out the window you think oh I don't want to go out in that but actually if you put on a coat and some wellies it's really not as bad as you think and quite often the children don't mind it at all I mean children quite often love going out in the rain and jumping Mm -hmm. in the puddles and getting wet they don't mind it Mm. it's just us really so I would say get a hot drink Mm -hmm. and just get out Mm -hmm. um so yeah I would say try to get into that routine Mm -hmm. and also you know if your child is not used to nature study point things out to them you know because they might not be used to picking up on things and you know looking for different Mm-hmm. wildflowers or whatever so you have to start by pointing things out to them show mm-hmm. them that you are observing what's mm-hmm. around them mm-hmm. and then they will pick up from your behavior mm-hmm. you know that you are enjoying nature that you are observing nature and they might start noticing things that they've never seen before and that's a really good thing to do nature journaling is also great because you know it makes you observe better mm-hmm. because you have to sit and you have to really focus on something and you will see things that you've never noticed before. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're painting a wildflower, that might be the first time that you've counted how many petals it's got mm. or noticed, you know, how the middle is a different colour to the outer petals, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, what shape the leaves are. Often we're just walking so fast and we don't observe these things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely do that kind of thing. You know, stop, try and observe, do the sit spotting as well. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And another good thing, Mm -hmm. now that lockdown is almost ending, Mm -hmm. another great way to get people outdoors is to meet up with a friend. Right. Mm -hmm. Because um, sometimes meeting up with a friend is really good motivation to get out. Yeah. Because first of all, you've made plans and you think, well, I don't want to break my plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to go out because I've arranged it. So that Mm -hmm. is kind of good motivation to get you out. But also it's nice, you know, that adults can chat to a friend and then maybe the children can play. So meeting up with other people outdoors is a great thing to do. Um, A couple of years ago, I think it was about three years ago now, Mm -hmm. I actually created a home ed nature group. Okay. And and I've been running that for the last three years. So we basically just follow Exploring Nature with Children. Okay. So we follow the weeks and, you know, we pick a couple of activities and we meet up at usually the same place every week. Sometimes we change it around, you Mm -hmm. know, there's if it's not a good place so for good. looking for mushrooms yeah. and we need to go somewhere else, you know, it's not a good place for birds, we'll go somewhere else. But yeah, creating a nature group where you meet once a week or once a fortnight with the yeah. same people who mm-hmm. love nature yeah. is just such a great motivation. Fantastic, Ronnie. These are such good tips. I think I've noted about seven different things that we can do there. And it, I wouldn't say that that's just for new people. Um, I think that applies even for, you know, those of us who've been homeschooling for, for a while. Um, you know, especially around setting up a group. I know that quite a lot of people do do that. Um, but it's, it's a great way to find a community of like-minded people. And children often would inspire each other. Ronnie, you have been so, so, so helpful and, 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 um, throwing so much wisdom around this topic that I know is, is a great resource for, will be a great resource for so many people. Can't thank you enough. And I, I have a feeling this is the beginning of many things that you and I are going to be talking on, on this podcast. So. Oh, I'd be happy to come on again. (laughs) Please do. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to having you back on again in the future. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If 
so, we'd appreciate if you could take the time to subscribe, share, or write a review. This would also help others who need to find the show find us quickly. Also, if you would like to find out more about Homegrown Sunshine, please check out the links in the show notes. Until next time, keep nurturing your own sunshine.